Want to be a part of the conversation? Then let us know on the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's news talk, TNT Radio. Focused on the facts. The Aussie Cossack. On today's news talk radio, TNT. Welcome back to the Aussie Cossack show live on a Saturday night for you. Uh, from the Russian consulate in Sydney. Uh, we are continuing uh, tonight's program uh, with uh, shortly crossing over to Crimea to speak with uh, uh, one of our regular contributors, Sergei Milnichuk, who is a uh, political scientist about the current geopolitical situation. Bit of bad weather lately in Crimea. Uh, but you're welcome uh, to join the conversation and have your say. I welcome uh, your phone calls uh, tonight for the next hour. Uh, give us a call if you're in the UK on 033-0024-1026. Uh, call us uh, from the US and Canada on 1-888-201-6425. And if you're from Australia and New Zealand, give us a call toll-free on 1-800-670-310. Uh, the lines are open now, taking your talk back your opinions and your comments if there's something you didn't like or if there's something you liked i want to know about it in politics in local politics or international politics this is the place uh, to vent your views and your comments uh big hello to uh, a lot of our regular listeners who are tuning in tonight i can uh, see you all there in the uh, comment section if you're watching us on various platforms uh huge shout out to uh, trixie andrews a uh, long-time uh, viewer, listener, from the days of uh, filming the police on YouTube. Uh, big hello to Skippy as well. Uh, Shane Spencer says, free Julian Assange. And uh, He Squeeze says, uh, greetings. Uh, very interesting comments there as well coming through on the TNT uh, radio website. You can see the live chat and join the conversation. Uh, anything about tonight's program. Uh, the lines are open and it's a free for all for the next one hour. We're announcing on 1 800 670 310. If you haven't called before and you want to give us a call, you're more than welcome to. Uh, this is a great opportunity uh, to do so. Uh, you are extremely welcome. Dono29 in the chat and our regulars are, as usually, talking all about crazy conspiracy theories. Don't you just love them all? 5G, maybe it's not so crazy. Aliens, not really my um, my specialty. I never really talk about that type of stuff. You know, it may be in the late night radio, but it's not that late in the night to be talking about aliens. Uh, but Hick uh, has been talking about uh, how should he move his family to Russia. He says he's got many Russian friends in Spain and they were just there for the same reason, a better way of life for their children. Well, for anyone that's uh, thinking of moving to Russia, my suggestion is go to moving to russia.ru.ru and uh, have a look at there. There's a good team of experts and specialists who have assisted many, uh, many uh, people from the West in making the move over to Russia. Then, of course, you may be required to sign a loyalty agreement. But, you know, there's nothing wrong about that. We've discussed that uh, with Tara Reid earlier in the show about the loyalty agreements. Um, I'm actually quite keen on this uh, situation. It'd be nice to know that all the foreigners on the territory of Russia have signed a loyalty agreement. That way we can trust them, right? Uh, 
we don't trust people who break confidentiality agreements. We don't trust people. Um, it's one thing if you're calling it, you're a whistleblower and you're calling out a government, you know, crime. It's no, that's honourable and uh, notable, I would say. But if you're, you know, backstabbing a uh, agreement that's been made in a commercial sense uh, with a partner, a business partner, or uh, you've uh, broken a loyalty agreement as a guest of a country, as a foreigner, well, that's a completely different situation which uh, uh, many people would frown upon, including myself, including myself. But I'll bring you more on that story eventually. There is a story behind that. I'm not just saying that. Now, there are uh, plenty of uh, aspects of the news uh, which I want to bring forward to you. Uh, the boss of Crimea, the head of Crimea, Sergei Aksyonov, has... Uh, accused Vladimir Zelensky of lying when Zelensky announced today that um, Crimea would be returned to Ukraine through a military scenario, through an invasion, through fighting. Aksyonov, the head of Crimea, says that is completely impossible and that's not going to happen. And joining me on the line now is a Crimean political scientist, uh, a radio uh, presenter, fellow radio presenter for Crimea 24 Radio Sergei Melnichuk, welcome back to TNT Radio, Sergei. Hello, Simeon. Uh, hello to you. What's happening in Crimea? There's a bit of bad weather. There's uh, extreme bad weather, in fact. Uh, you know, we've seen the footage. Uh, storms. Uh, has it subsided now? The flooding has it subsided? Yes. Yeah, so uh, the, weather, the weather was, I shall say, a bit unpleasant. Uh, in a way that that was the biggest storm uh, in the last 100 years, or at least some scientists say so. There is a discussion about it. And this storm was definitely uh, the one to leave an impression. So uh, there was a lot of uh, <clears throat> attention uh, drawn to it. But now everything is okay. Very good. I'm glad to hear that everything's okay. Uh, what do you make of uh, Vladimir Zelensky's latest uh, announcement that he intends to uh, return Crimea to Russia through military options? Uh, you know, honestly, there is nothing new to his words because uh, ever since uh, Crimea reunified with Russia, uh, Ukrainian politicians uh, were saying that they are aiming to return Crimea one way or another. Uh, the former Ukrainian president, Petro Poroshenko, was saying this all the time. Uh, his party members were saying this all the time. Now Zelensky does the same, and his party members, uh, members of his government, doing the same. This is all over again. And as you can see, they never managed to achieve any results in this. Uh, they were naming uh, different dates by they plan to return Crimea, as they say, but this never happened. And honestly, uh, I can't see this happening ever. Is there any uh, threat, a genuine credible threat? Do they have the ability in any way, the Ukrainians, in your opinion, to conduct an amphibious invasion of Crimea? You know, uh, honestly, 
this sounds as a, as almost an impossible task for Ukrainian military forces uh, due to the well obvious fact that Russia currently has almost total control over the Black Sea. Uh, Ukrainian propaganda uh, often makes up stories about how Russia uh, uh, tries to uh, leave the Black Sea, uh, tries to move uh, her fleet, uh, but uh, essentially this isn't true. And uh, Russian Black Sea fleet uh, patrols uh, sea uh, all the time. So for Ukrainian uh, military uh, to land in Crimea uh, would be a pretty difficult task. And furthermore, there would be a more di- even more difficult to uh, build the supply chain uh, for such an invasion. Because, as I said, Ukraine currently doesn't have any kind of fleet. Yet Russia has built a big one, a Black Sea fleet. So that would be a pretty difficult, or shall I say, impossible task for Ukraine. Absolutely. I, uh, I think that uh, hopefully things are going to go to a de-escalation and the Ukrainian regime is going to realize that they should stop uh, killing off their own population and look for a, a negotiation. Uh, we were spoken earlier in tonight's program uh, with uh, experts, uh, international experts, about the impact of a US presidential election on the conflict in Ukraine. Also, I wanted to speak to you, Sergei, about the uh, impact, uh, the impending uh, Russian uh, election, presidential election, that's set for March 17th, 2024. Uh, How is that election going to take place in the context of the special interpretation? Uh, Ramzan Kadyrov, the president of the Chechen Republic, uh, has declared that he thinks that there should not be any elections until after the end of the military conflict. And he said, let's just keep Vladimir Putin. Uh, That was uh, appreciated, but uh, rejected by the official um, Russian uh, government structures. Uh, What do you think in terms of candidates? And do you think Putin himself uh, is uh, certain to uh, reapply his candidacy again for this uh, uh, election coming up? Well, in my opinion, uh, Putin will, uh, well, uh, be the candidate on those elections, basically because special operation is still going. I believe that uh, he aims to complete uh, the objectives uh, which were named for the special military operations, uh, uh, for the special military operations duration. So I think he will definitely be a candidate. And uh, I believe that he will be the one actually to... uh, win the elections when they happen Uh, because honestly there is a great support for vladimir putin and uh, with all my respect to any potential candidates uh, i believe they wouldn't be able to uh well to be uh, the real opponent to him because the support for vladimir putin as i said is great the support for special military operation is great and People who generally want to see the stability for the time uh, of special military operation. Stability would be an important factor. Look, Sergey, uh, earlier in the program, we spoke to uh, Tara Reid about the U.S. elections, and we ran through a list of potential outsider candidates. Um, uh, for the benefit of our uh, listeners and viewers, 
Uh, I'd love to start the conversation around the Russian presidential election with uh, speaking about the candidates in a similar fashion. It's only it's only what four months away. It's not long at all until March to the seventeenth. It's uh, definitely quite soon. But uh, the Russian uh, Russian society, the Russian media, has not uh, yet geared up and has not prepared for a public uh, awareness campaign on the election. Uh, I've been informed that uh, they are awaiting uh, a speech, a very important speech by the uh, Russian president on the 14th of December, uh, coming up in 12 days time. I will definitely be uh, reporting live on that speech that Vladimir Putin is making with a live translation and live analysis, uh, whether on this platform or another platform. But 14th of December, Vladimir Putin is going to be answering uh, questions. People will be able to ring up uh, the pr the president uh, directly on plus seven eight zero zero two zero zero four zero four zero, and uh, you can uh, ring up and you can also send an SMS. You can also send a uh, email to the Russian president uh, Moskva dash Putinu dot ru. Uh, and you can also uh, make a video address for Putin to watch. I mean, we know that uh, he probably gets hundreds of thousands of calls and questions, and he uh, answers hundreds because it's just physically impossible. But that's a marathon uh, effort. Uh, if you want to get your question or your idea into Vladimir Putin, you can do so from the 1st of December. So applications are open now. Uh, this is a... a very important day for Russia. What kind of announcements do you think, Sergei, we can expect from Vladimir Putin on the 14th of December uh, on this national uh, live, uh, direct uh, live link uh, to the president that he traditionally has once a year? What kind of announcements do you expect, uh, firstly, starting with uh, the March 2024 presidential elections? What do you uh, predict? I want to be honest with you, I don't think that there would be some huge announcements due to the fact that uh, President Putin uh, has been well, holding this direct line for uh, almost every year, for an entirety of 10 years, and there wasn't really much of announcements during such event. Uh, more, uh, the president was listening to uh, people, and he was interested in... Uh, I should say, defining special uh, uh, aspects of some regional policies, for example, because, as I said, uh, when uh, people were able to uh, to directly talk to him, uh, they would brought, brought some topics which are traditionally uh, uh, mentioning some local affairs. So uh, president uh, would most likely uh, be focused on regional politics without some huge announcements during the direct line. However, there would also be the president's press conference where journalists would be able to ask uh, some questions, and I believe there would obviously be questions surrounding uh, well, special military operation too. And still, I don't think that there would be some huge announcements. There would be quite a usual press conference and, well, of course, 
mentioning some military aspects, but without announcements. Okay, the question was about the elections. Do you think he's going to announce that he's running for the election on the 14th of December? Well, technically he can uh, announce it uh, any day. Yeah, but, but there will be obviously questions about him running for presidency, and I believe uh, he might uh, speak quite openly on this. So, yeah, there is quite a possibility of him announcing his presidential campaign on that day. Because, and well... That would be quite fitting day for it. And 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 as a bit of uh, black Russian humor, will he announce uh, who is running against him? Also, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, there is always a bit of surprise. Yeah, sh- sh- should I say, sh- will he appoint the opposition candidate? <laughs> you know, this has been an all-time dream for Russian opposition to be appointed by Putin uh, to run against him, but. If the thing was real, there would be a much of a, I shall say, show to it. But obviously, well, look, let, let's uh, let's talk about uh, who the candidates could be. Even though the polls are showing Putin's approval rating is now at around eighty percent at historical highs, uh, it, it, we'll talk about who potentially the candidates would would be, and why do we even need elections? In Russia, if the if the ratings are so high, uh, we'll continue this conversation uh, after the break. Uh, stay tuned with us on TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. The double standard is out there. It's so obvious. It's so frustrating. Eric Holder gets held in contempt of Congress for defying a congressional subpoena. Nothing happens. Obama's DOJ didn't pursue it. Steve Bannon and Peter Navarro defy a congressional subpoena. Joe Biden's DOJ criminally prosecutes them. Criminally prosecutes them for defying a congressional subpoena. And now we've got congressional subpoenas of Hunter Biden and James Biden, the resident's brother. And guess what? Nothing's going to be done by Merrick Garland, Barack Obama, Joe Biden's DOJ. That's right. I said Barack Obama. Obama's the shadow president. He's not the one pulling the strings. He wasn't pulling the strings in his own administration. You know, Valerie Jarrett was his minder. Where is the Iranian-born Valerie Jarrett these days? Haven't seen or heard much of her. It's because the Democrats are smart. Timothy Shea on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. I'm just going to do a little I wanted to alleviate my pain. I also didn't want to be who I was. I always just felt like there was just something wrong with me and I was trying to figure it out and I used the internet to help me do that. Seemingly out of nowhere, we've suddenly seen a huge spike in media depictions and social media depictions of transgenderism. It's even reached the mainstream advertising world. The people who are consuming this are children, 13, 14, 15 years old. And it's so easy for them to literally be groomed. I just woke up one day, looked at myself in the mirror, and asked myself, what the heck am I doing? When trans-identified kids are referred to specialized gender clinics, they're often told that they're going to get comprehensive 
multidisciplinary mental health assessments. We know that that's not true. I was easy to manipulate. The ideology that has become dominant at these clinics is that trans kids know who they are, and therefore to question them is completely taboo. My childhood was ruined. Who's there for their detransitioning? Nobody. Nobody would help me because they had more concerns of me reversing everything. Did this thing to alleviate this gender dysphoria that wasn't there before, but you made it into a problem, and now your body image issues are worse. That's not supposed to happen. What do we do now? D-Trans, the dangers of gender-affirming care. For more information, go to PragerU.com. Well, I want to say this, and I'm going to say it just once. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back to TNT Radio. Yeah, some of our advertising there, um, not very pleasant to listen to. So if you want to advertise with us on the Aussie Cossack Show, get in touch with TNT Radio, and I welcome your office of advertising. Uh, always good and happy to... Uh, uh, support small businesses who can support freedom of speech and hopefully next Saturday we'll have uh, some good ads from advertisers uh, who are willing to support this station we can organize that uh, call up the station 1-800-670-310 if you're a local business uh, who want to advertise with us uh, coming back to Sergei Melnichuk a, pol a Crimean political scientist I'm very interested in having this conversation with him about uh, the uh, Russian presidential elections 2024 uh sergey before the break uh we began the conversation uh about the candidates it seems to be that uh, there's not much information and there's not even much speculation the media the media he's hardly talking about this but this is one of the most important i believe stories that will be developing in the world over the next uh, 100 days and uh in your opinion, I mean, who is the most notable number two candidate? Who is the head-to-head -head candidate who has the highest chance of uh, a successful candidacy in an election against Vladimir Putin? Much chance to any potential candidates uh, to be a head-to-head -head opponent. Uh, because, uh, honestly, uh, there isn't much for uh, candidates, as I said, earlier with all my respect there is not much that they can offer within the context of uh, special military operation and within uh, the process of russia rebuilding its economy to stand against the sanctions so there is many uh, there was many speculation of, on who might uh, take part in the elections and well uh, there was a lot of potential candidates i believe that we will see uh, the traditional free uh, parties, uh, Liberal Democratic Party of Russia, Communist Party of Russia, and Party Yabloka, uh, promoting their candidates. Yet, I believe none of them would be able to uh, be the real opponent to Putin, uh, surrounding it again, the context. In this so you're election. saying that even though there are, so far, there are a few candidates, none of them can actually be an opponent at the moment. There is not one candidate out of 147 million Russian citizens at the moment who can actually be a real opposition candidate with some chance, a marginal slim chance, correct? This, when you put it like this, it sounds a bit sad, but uh, honestly, this is the context here again uh, in which the elections are held. People want stability and uh, the uh, desire for stability is a very strong one. Uh, traditionally uh, within the Russian 
political life, when uh, people participate in elections, they always very carefully uh, picking their candidate because they're interested uh, in at least of a decade of stability because you know the Russian history, you know how the last 30 years went, you know the experiences, the experience of the 90s in Russia, you know all of this. All of this. So when you see a special military operation, when you see Western sanction, when you see a lot of dynamics to which Russia needs to adopt, people would most likely be, uh, people would most likely have the desire to have an at least one stable course without breaking it by selecting. So you're, you're uh, telling us that because of the sanctions against Russia, because of all the propaganda against Russia, it actually increases Vladimir Putin's popularity and it actually makes people more inclined to vote for him as a way of protesting against the West, uh, that if the West wasn't so uh, evil against Russia, uh, people would risk electing somebody else and give somebody else a chance at presidency. But from what you're, what you're telling me, it sounds like uh, the sanctions and the anti-Russian rhetoric in the media uh, from the Western governments is actually having uh, the effect of causing the Russian population, the Russian electoral base, the voters to rally in support of their president. Because again, to be the president of Russia is a very serious job. I mean, who can be entrusted with such a job? Who has the experience uh, with such a job? There's a few uh, potential candidates uh, floating around, ones that have announced their intention. There's an independent, uh, there's an independent uh, candidate called Ivan Otrakovsky, a 47-year-old uh, who was nominated by the All Russian Officers Assembly, a public organization of retired officers, of the Russian Armed Forces, headed by Vladimir Kvachkov, who himself was uh, convicted of uh, extremist-type um, uh, broadcasting or public comments and did some time in jail, emerged from prison and continued his political career as a type of, uh, I suppose they put themselves forward as uh, some type of patriotic opposition. Uh, what real chance do they have, uh, in your opinion, Sergei? So first of all, I'd like to return to one thing you mentioned a bit earlier, a bit uh, about sanctions. So they indeed did increase Vladimir Putin's popularity due to the fact that people in Russia mostly supported actions which were held by the government in the context of foreign affairs. And uh, the West heavily antagonized itself against the Russians. And this was a very important factor in all of this situation. And uh, about the potential candidates, so uh, of, the, of those who you mentioned, uh, you mean uh, uh, those, those officer groups which might uh, promote the potential candidates, am I right? So you're asking yes. about them or about candidates in general? Yeah, well, in particular, this guy, does he have a chance or not, this independent Ivan Otrakovsky? Uh, so, uh, okay, let me just help you here. The rhetorical question, the answer is no. He doesn't have a chance. 
<laughs> right? Let's just face it. That's what I was looking for. The answer is no. It's not a, it's not a loaded question. I don't think he does not have a chance. What we want to establish is that no one has a chance, do they? Not one person in the country has a chance. Not one politician will dare to stand up or doesn't even, not a question of dare. It's a question of what's ethical and what's right. And I think the answer to the question is, it's not about daring to stand up. It's about at a time when the country needs uh, stability, when the country needs for people to rally around the president because the president is in charge of a country which is currently yeah, involved in a war against 50 plus uh, military industrial complexes, uh, it would be, in a way, it would be viewed as unpatriotic to become a candidate with the uh, actual intention of defeating Vladimir Putin. And I don't think anyone would really support somebody like that. And is there anyone in Russia who is willing to assume that role? I know, as you know, and our listeners should know, that at the 2018 election, for example, there were some candidates who were asked to be candidates, the people that were, who, you know, I suppose to fill up the ballot paper with genuine, so to speak, candidates, uh, were asked to run as candidates. And they knew themselves that they had no chance, right? It happens in Australia too. Sometimes people run in elections just for the sake of running in an election. They don't intend to win and they know they can't win. And in fact, they don't even campaign to win. In fact, in Russia, it's not unusual for for other candidates to actually praise Vladimir Putin. Am I right? So, uh, uh, many things you mentioned. So, originally about Atrakovsky, he is again, even being the man directly connected to military, uh, I don't think that uh, he would actually be able to promote himself uh, as a potential uh, con candidate due to the fact that, well, military currently has shown the support to Vladimir Putin and military is uh, military branch is a very important one in Russia as well I believe in any state and you mentioned that candidates they uh, usually show their support to Putin this is true uh, for example uh, the leader of one of the uh, biggest political parties uh, in Russia uh, Sergei Mironov uh, he would always uh, refused to take part in elections in support to Vladimir Putin and this is quite a remarkable act and uh, when we talk about other parties I think that uh, they would not uh, renounce uh, the candidates participa participations because they need to stay relevant as I said Liberal Democratic Party of Russia Communist Party of Russia uh, they would try to promote at least some candidate to show they are still somewhat relevant in the in the context of the events we are seeing today. So they might show support to uh, some aspects of uh, Vladimir Putin's uh, potential presidential program. Yet I think they would not completely renounce uh, their participation. Uh. They wouldn't. They would. They would. They would potentially not go as candidates uh, because it's it's basically uh, hard to understand for the Western audience, but to understand the Russian soul, the Russian mentality, the Russian mind. If you're involved in a war, and this is where uh, President of Chechnya, uh, the leader of Chechnya, Ramzan Kadyrov's comments make a little bit of sense. What's the point of having an election during a war? 
I suppose the only point is to prove to the rest of the world that Russia is not a dictatorship. Have a look at this. We've got free elections uh, as opposed to the uh, Ukrainian regime who have cancelled elections, who Zelensky you know, you know, is afraid to have elections because he knows that if he has elections, there will be candidates against him. Absolutely there will be, right, in Ukraine. Namely, Zeluzhny, for example, the head of the armed forces and other people might uh, try to... Uh, remove him depose him vladimir putin is so confident in his uh, people in the fabric of russian society that uh, he's not afraid to call elections and to say 17th of march 2024 you know roughly 120 days away roughly we will have elections and there's not going to be any serious concern the only concern i think uh, would be sergey would be to ensure and agitate to ensure uh, for a high voter turnout, right? It would be disappointing if the voter turnout was low. And to legitimize the election, the best way to do so is to show a extremely high voter turnout. Am I correct? Uh, so, in by, by according by the Russian law, there is no uh, minimal attendance to the election. So technically, elections can be uh, completed with any amount of voters participating in it. Uh, it would be definitely a sad thing to see if there would be not much people to attend it. Yet, I think that in the situation we are currently facing, a lot of people would want to express their opinion on the situation. This is actually uh, an aspect uh, you mentioned uh, previously, uh, uh, difference between uh, current Russian government and Ukrainian government. Uh, legitimacy is a very important aspect in politics. And uh, current Russian government understands it quite well. And... Uh, and to see the tendencies in society, there is nothing bad, better than the elections. So but this is why I actually think that we will see more candidates, uh, even from the political parties which will support Vladimir Putin's action. They will still try to promote themselves as candidates, even uh, though their uh, failure is quite uh, expectable. So I think that uh, the legitimacy aspect is very important and uh, the legitimacy of Russian government facing the further elected to president, which I believe to be still Vladimir Putin, uh, the legitimacy will be quite high. Well, I think uh, the election success depends on the amount of people who do go and vote. And it would be remarkable to see a high voter turnout. And uh, we've got now extra regions, new regions, the Kherson, Zaporozhye region, Lugansk, Donetsk regions, where the people there also will be taking part in the vote uh, to uh, elect the Russian president. Uh, interesting for our listeners and viewers to give a bit of local context, to give an Australian context to this conversation. It'll be interesting to note that in Australia, uh, there are also voting polling booths available and open uh, during the Russian presidential elections. So on the 17th of March, 2024, if you're in Australia, and you're a Russian citizen, you will be able to vote in the uh, presidential election. You will, just as the, you could in the previous elections, in 2018, for example, in Australia, in seven Australian cities, uh, uh, 2,468 Russian uh, citizens took part in the voting and cast their vote. Now, 2,468 for the whole of Australia is a very, I could say, low number. Some estimates put the amount of Russians in Australia 
you know, as far high as 100,000. But keep in mind that if you're just a Russian, it's not enough to vote. You have to be also a Russian citizen to be able to vote. Uh, and out of that 2,468 which voted in 2018, a overwhelming 1,680 uh, Russian citizens in Australia, representing 68.07% uh, voted for Vladimir Putin. The rest of the candidates uh, in Australia uh, got uh, uh, the following amounts of votes. So Maxim Surakin got 0.2% of the vote in Australia. Sergei Baburin got 0.89%. Uh, he's actually a good friend and colleague of mine, Sergei Baburin. He's in now the head of the Soviet International Soviet Peace Fund. Um, Vladimir Zhirinovsky got 1.74% of the vote. Boris Titov got 1.82%. Uh, Grigory Yevlinsky got 4.82%. Pavel Grudinin got 9.35%, the communist candidate. And Ksenia Sabchak, who was seen as the most sort of uh, liberal candidate or pro-Western candidate in that sense, she received 12.11% uh, of the vote in Australia during the elections. Uh, the remainder voting for Vladimir Putin. So there you go. We've got uh, um, a, a campaign ahead of us in Australia. Uh, I'm very inclined to take part in the election myself, but also take part in the pre-election uh, advertising and agitation campaign to get as many Russians voting as possible. It would be nice for Australia to have a nice uh, high turnout because you could imagine, you could suspect that in many Western uh, Russian diasporas, uh, the voting turnout may be lower than this year than expected due to all the propaganda and all the treachery and traitors and uh, negativity around uh, the Western media in relation to Russophobia and so forth. So I'm sure the enemies of Russia will be doing their utmost to try to prevent or sabotage or uh, devalue the Russian presidential elections overseas. And there are 400 polling booths overseas. So it's quite a large uh, operation. And uh, I'm pretty certain in Australia we'll definitely be able to beat that record of 2,468 people voting. Uh, but yeah, let's continue this conversation because there'll be voting centres open in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Perth, Adelaide, Canberra and Hobart. And with uh, predictions, on the results of the election, Sergei Milnichuk is joining us from Crimea. We're going to pose that question to him uh, right now. But first, we're going to go to a quick break on TNT Radio. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. While the fiery images of mostly peaceful protests coming out of central Dublin over the weekend were disturbing, and although no one condones arson, property damage and violence against police, it was good to see the Irish finally get their Irish up and direct their ire where it properly belongs against their own government, which has been selling out the Irish people for decades now. What triggered the upheaval? The stabbing of a young woman and two little children, including a five-year-old girl who is still in hospital with life-threatening injuries by a Muslim maniac who was, you guessed it, known to police. The guard had disarmed the man just last month after finding him with an illegal knife. They knew he was a problem and they did nothing to stop these attacks. 
Ireland is actively promoting its own destruction. It is committing suicide in exactly the same way the United Kingdom committed social suicide. The number one name for new boys in Galway last year, Mohammed for the first time ever. Ireland needs to get a hold of the fact that the enemy is within the gates and their own government are the ones that have opened the doors. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. The challenges our planet's animals are facing sometimes feel a bit heavy. The animals haven't eaten in a day, two days. They haven't drank anything. They're cold, they're dehydrated. But remember, there's good happening right now. At home. All right, we were able to get into your unit and we have all four of your cats. So, uh... Okay. And around the world for any animal, any disaster. Search ifa.org forward slash disaster ready. Focused on the facts. The Aussie Cossack. On today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back to TNT Radio. Saturday Night Live with Aussie Cossack. Uh, Sergei Milnichuk is on the line from Crimea. He's a uh, Crimean political scientist. And uh, we're talking about the 2024 uh, upcoming uh, election, which will take place on the 17th of March. Uh, the requirements to be a presidential candidate in Russia, you must be at least 35 years old. You must be a resident in Russia for at least 25 years. Previously, this was 10 years. You must not have foreign citizenship or residence permits in any foreign country, neither at the time of the election nor at any time before that, which is also a new requirement. However, you may uh, be a candidate from prison, I am uh, led to believe. Is that correct, Sergei? Uh, so, uh, requirements which you mentioned, uh, well, they're pretty much, well, uh, they are uh, the requirements. And uh, uh, an important thing is yeah, that they are somewhat new requirements because uh, they were uh, brought uh, as a reform during the constitutional reform in Russia. So, yes, they are actually, uh, those are requirements. The question was, are you allowed to be a candidate from prison? Uh, uh, so, uh, honestly, I never heard about uh, this, uh, such aspect of the reform, because uh, honestly, I don't think that there would be quite a possibility uh, for uh, someone uh, who is in the prison. Well, how do you, how do you explain so, then, uh, former Defense Minister of the Net People's Republic, Igor Strelkov, uh, who is, has been uh, jailed uh, for uh, social media posts criticizing the Russian government, and uh, which was interpreted uh, by the prosecutors as a cause to extremism, and he is still locked up in prison, and he has said he wants to. He wants to. Uh, be a candidate for the presidency. However, if he is uh, he's, he receives a conviction, then he may not uh, go for presidency. But at the moment, he's not yet convicted. He is in uh, remand. So technically, uh, he could be a candidate for the presidency. Are you aware of this situation? 
yes, I, of course, uh, heard about the situation surrounding the uh, Strykov promotion of a potential, uh, as a potential candidate for presidential elections. Yet, uh, Russian law still prevents uh, people uh, who uh, were recognized as uh, the as, uh, who were recognized guilty for certain crimes uh, to take part uh, in the election uh, uh, for a for a certain time uh, and well, the question the question is uh, look the, the federal law in Russia on the elections of Russian uh, presidents uh, paragraph section three paragraph four says that a person uh, may not be elected the president of the Russian Federation and be a candidate uh, and take part in uh, uh, the elections as a candidate if he has been recognized uh, by the court uh, if he if he is in a, a prison by order of the court but of course here's the technicality Igor Strelkov is not yet convicted of this crime and he's not in the prison right now uh, by order of the prison there is no conviction is uh, yet made against him he is in uh Cizor, so he's in the uh, area which is a temporary area he's in remand and we call it in australia and he hasn't been yet uh convicted so technically on that technicality he could still technically from within his uh confines of prison put his candidacy forward. Does that make sense? Well, technically, he can participate while being in detention in CISO, uh, yet uh, the, he's been in CISO for quite a while. There is a court expected uh, on his case. So uh, there is a very important factor of the judges uh, deciding on his fate. Uh, because uh, even uh, if he would not be put in the jail uh, for his supposed crimes, uh, he uh, can still be uh, recognized guilty, and even though he would be free to walk, uh, not to be in jail, he, the law will still prevent him from participating in elections. And uh, so I believe that chances of Strelkov uh, even uh, participating in elections, they are very low. But of course, if he would be recognized not guilty uh, of certain crimes uh, in which he is being accused of, then he would be able, would be able to run for presidency. So that's one candidate uh, which we have to keep an eye on, our eye on. But really, apart from that, uh, what about the LDP party, Liberal Democratic Party? Uh, do you expect uh, the head of the party, Leonid Slutsky, to run as a candidate against Vladimir Putin? In my opinion, Slutsky currently is uh, the most uh, likely a candidate on those elections. Yet again, Liberal Democratic Party of Russia was facing certain difficulties surrounding the uh, fact that the former leader Vladimir Zhirinovsky passed away, and uh, the party faced a lot of difficulties uh, choosing the new leader and the potential candidates for presidential elections. This is why uh, there wasn't still much information on this fact. Yet I think that current party leader Slutsky would be the most uh, likely candidate to represent this party. 
Pilsudski is quite an experienced politician, so he seems to be a likely candidate. So how do people uh, how do people approach the concept of Slutsky being part of the government, part of Putin's government, effectively, he's not going to be uh, a candidate who is calling upon people not to vote for the president. He looks like he's going to be uh, easy. He's not going to go there and say, don't vote for Putin, vote for me. He's not going to say that, is he? Well, I can see Slutsky saying something like this um, because you mentioned that they're quite right that he's currently the member not of the uh, executive branch, but of the uh, uh, law branch uh, of the government Russian. He is uh, head of the one of the cabinets in Russian parliament. So he has been quite uh, an active. Uh, he he heads the, the, he the parliamentary there. committee for international uh, affairs. And, and, uh, and actually Marina Butina is also part of that same uh, uh, committee on international affairs. So, considering this fact, of course, uh, there would uh, there is not much critique from him to be expected surrounding, for example, the foreign policy, because he was well, uh, a man who participated in it directly. So, uh, the Liberal Democratic Party of Russia has always had uh, a bit uh, of, uh, I should say, contradictory uh, program uh, on the elections. And uh, there is a lot of work to be done uh, on some aspects of it. So Slutsky haven't really promoted himself to be uh, as the potential candidate. So as we said earlier, uh, even though party would most likely to pick a candidate and to promote him, they would not expect him to really win uh, all the elections, even though the, the candidate, and as we said, most likely Slutsky would take part in it. Well, look, I, uh, I think it's it's a very interesting dynamic. It's a very unique situation, the uh, Russian uh, presidential elections. And, you know, I thank you for your uh, insight into that. I know you, you're very, as well, I, could, I can feel that you're, in a way, a little bit very careful and restricted in the way you comment uh, on the election uh, upcoming. And, and the whole country is in this sort of limbo state. I've spoken to a few key people in Moscow and around the place and everybody is sort of waiting and things are on hold until the president's announcement on uh i imagine the 14th of december announcing his own candidacy and then uh the other uh you could say quote unquote pre-approved candidates look that's just the way it is isn't it in russia i mean uh it's may it may seem unusual to other countries but uh, it's the Russian way, it's the Russian style. And in fact, many Russians would probably just say, well, what's the point of having elections? We, we know who our president is and we support him. Let's just uh, keep him. Or maybe we need to have elections as an opportunity uh, to demonstrate the support to the president. It's a good opportunity to show the West. Well, have a look at this. Look how we love our leader and we support our country and the country is brimming with patriotism and uh, unity uh, during the time of the special military operation. I, I suppose that would be the most appropriate course of action uh, to use the election situation uh, to spur along uh, you know positive patriotic sentiment in the country uh, do you think that that's what will happen so uh, looking back to one thing you mentioned earlier about talking a bit carefully on those things uh, the most people who are well, 
uh, through a comment on elections, so they are currently well a bit careful, and this is uh, mostly due to the fact that there is much not much information surrounding elections. So not much information from candidates and not much information about any potential candidates. So people can technically try to make stuff up, but I think that isn't the way to go. So uh, there is why uh, a lot of people currently talking carefully because there is not much information. And about the aspect of, uh, well, uh, candidate uh, being pretty obvious one, yes, it is indeed so. Putin is quite an obvious one yeah, for the reasons we mentioned earlier. And the support for him is the highest one. This is obvious uh, according to the uh, data uh, collected by uh, the journalists by uh, sociologic studies. There is a lot of information surrounding the fact that Putin is the most supported one candidate. So even though uh, his uh, uh, potential run for presidency and his uh, following victory is somewhat obvious, elections are still necessary for Russian society to uh, be, uh, well, uh, concerned in the uh, nation's future because uh, even though Putin currently is the most supported one well we wouldn't know what would happen in the 100 years after right so the political system needs to be the one functioning for the entirety of uh, a country's lifespan if it isn't functioning it is changing so the current system is uh, reflecting the uh, uh, reflecting the wishes of the Russian people, I believe, and this is actually what we saw on the constitutional uh, reform referendum. And uh, currently, even though the candidate and candidates are uh, in the Putin's candidacy is quite obvious, it doesn't change the fact that uh, people still need those institutions to be able to express, express their opinion. There is always uh, better when you have a choice when you don't have one. And this is actually the idea uh, which is popular among the people and among the government too. And because the Russian government understands that it is interested in uh, in uh, high legitimacy and it's interested in seeing the people express their opinion on certain things and elections are still the best way to express your opinion. So elections are still needed and needed pretty much for everyone in Russia. Well, very good. Let's see how the elections pan out. Uh, we'll have further coverage on this on the Aussie Cossack show as we uh, move along. But one thing that uh, I think would be fantastic would be to have a referendum uh, to change the country's status from a federation to an empire, something I've always been a fan of since I was uh, uh, a young kid always uh, had this uh, romanticized uh, vision of Russia's future where it could come back to its former glory as uh, a Russian empire or uh, a union. Um, I don't see any problems with Soviet Union or Russian empire or a mix of both. Of course, um, we can take the best out of the Soviet Union, out of the Russian empire, and leave the worst and uh, come up with some excellent uh, government structure. Or we could leave everything the way that it is because, you know, the Russian Federation, let's face it, was created in the 1990s uh, with the help of American advisors. And not everything about it is in Russia's interests. But laws and action and efforts are being made now 
uh, in a huge way to fix all those problems from the 90s. So it's good news. Thank you for joining us, Sergei. We've run out of time, unfortunately. We've got to go straight to the news on TNT Radio. That was Sergei Melnichuk, a political uh, scientist from Crimea, which has now joined Russia since March 2014. Back after the news.